We expect Kubernetes to be everywhere. We want adoption everywhere. We want it to be a standard everywhere. And I think that's the mission, right, uh, for us. And so we, as a company, build value on top of the expectation that Kubernetes will be everywhere. So it's a very exciting space. We are in the middle of a storm that's phenomenal in terms of cloud native running into edge. It's crazy. You are listening to the Kubelist Podcast, a show interviewing project maintainers for CNCF Sandbox, incubating and graduated projects. We'll discuss each project to understand where it came from and discuss the roadmap and plans to continue the project. Hi, I'm Mark Campbell. I publish the Kubelist weekly newsletter dedicated to Kubernetes and the CNCF ecosystem. I'm the founder and CTO at Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors like Puppet, Harness, HashiCorp, Sneak, and many others to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software. Check us out at replicated.com. The Kubelist podcast is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Finally, sign up for the Kubelist weekly newsletter and read previous issues at kubelist.com. On today's episode of the Kubelist podcast, Benji and I were joined by Keith Basil from SUSE to talk about some of the work Rancher and now SUSE have been doing in the CNCF world. Rancher has been an instrumental part of the cloud native ecosystem. A lot of the conversation in this episode is focused on the K3S project. I'd be surprised if you haven't heard of K3S before, but just in case, it's a single binary, simple distribution of Kubernetes. On the episode, Basil shares a lot about the challenges of building software with the primary goal of simplifying. Basil has been in the cloud native space for a while now and clearly understands it well. This was a really fun interview and I hope you enjoy it. Hello again, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kubeless Podcast. This is going to be a really fun conversation this week. Once again, Benji from Shipyard.Build is here as my co-host. Hi, Benji. Hello. Cool. So we're lucky to be joined by Keith Basil from SUSE by way of Rancher. Basil is the VP of Product and Cloud Native Infrastructure at SUSE. Welcome, Keith. Hey, it's uh, Mark. It's really good to be here. Awesome. So before we start talking about all of the work that you're doing in the cloud native space, I'd love to start a little bit with just your background. How did you get into the cloud native space? So I've been in cloud for some time, starting probably around 2008, 2009. And I did some work for a U.S. government project to do a secure cloud implementation and from there, I went to cloud scaling. So some of the, your listeners may know Randy Bias of the Pets and Cattle fame. So I worked at cloud scaling for a while. And then Red Hat started to get real serious about OpenStack. And I was one of the first product managers to join Red Hat. And because of my security background with the uh, U.S. public sector, I uh, eventually got into doing security for Red Hat's uh, cloud products. And so uh, that was my area of expertise. But personally, I've always had this passion for what I call decentralized cloud and, and small footprint cloud. And that's kind of really drove me to look at uh, Rancher as an opportunity. That's great. Yeah. I mean, definitely that I can see that progression from Red Hat to Rancher. And then how long were you at Rancher before the acquisition? <laughs> that's a great question. My first week at Rancher, I was uh, privately informed that we were going to get acquired by CISA. <laughs> so um, I think it was about six months. Wow. So like you go through the entire process of, of interviewing and joining and deciding whether or not you want to work there. And then like the first week they drop that on you. No, it was actually worse than that because I left Red Hat to do a startup around decentralization. And I ran into Shannon and uh, basically Shannon with his silver tongue and sales convinced me to join Rancher and, and put my startup on hold. 
so you can imagine the psychological journey. <laughs> I went from a very stable job with an awesome culture company with Red Hat, um, well regarded there. I just wanted to do my own thing and express myself in the tech space with a startup. And then I joined Rancher. And then the first week at Rancher, we get noticed that we're going to get acquired by SUSE. It's uh, six months later, I am at SUSE. So it, it's been a whirlwind of activity. And to put the cherry on top, um, in May, SUSE went public. So That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, the, but that mental, like, that context switch, I guess, from, like, you know, working for a large org to a small org to, like, back to a, to a large org again. And bigger, like, huge opportunity, though, for, like, what you guys can do at SUSE. Oh, absolutely. And um, I am in a very privileged position because... When I made the decision to join Rancher, uh, some of the core technology we were going to have to build for the startup, Rancher already had in the form of K3S, as an example. So, I mean, what better way to help shape that core technology than being the product manager for K3S and Rancher, um, you know, helping lead that team, not the only product manager, obviously. So that was really cool. But when you fast forward to the SUSE world, um, and we could talk about this if you want, uh, about the itch uh, positioning there's really three things that are needed for a successful edge deployment. One is this idea of managing things at scale. So, you know, we have a solution for that in the form of Rancher in a subfeature called continuous delivery. Okay. So it's basically GitOps. The other thing is a lightweight Kubernetes distro in the form of K3S. And so that was a powerful component of the solution. And then third, which is what most people have is a lightweight OS that's container optimized, right? So, Coming to SUSE and going after the edge space strategically with a great solution, those three pillars were in place with the um, acquisition of Rancher and SUSE. So SUSE Rancher, uh, the solution for the SUSE edge is basically um, those three at, at the core plus some other value-added things around that. But let me just say this. We are in the middle of a storm that's phenomenal in terms of cloud native running into edge. It, it's crazy. Right. I want to actually dive into that a little bit. So one thing that I'd love just to understand is the inspiration for K3S. I know it was created before you you joined Rancher, um, but was it specifically targeting Edge? Or was the idea, the inspiration a little bit wide, broader than that? You know, it was not targeted for Edge. Uh, Edge was, in all transparency, not really on Rancher's radar at the time of uh, K3S's creation. What was underway at the time was a PaaS uh, solution called Rio. It was a, a project upstream, a open source project called Rio. And Darren Shepard, who is absolutely a brilliant software engineer, um, and I'm so happy to be able to work with this guy, he was creating um, Rio, and he got tired of always having to go through the complexity of standing up Kubernetes the hard way, if I can reference uh, Kelsey, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, look, you know, he just made it a call to say, hey, look, I got to solve this Kubernetes problem first before we can continue the development of Rio. And so K3S was born. Uh, he essentially looked at the components of Kubernetes, decided which ones were not germane to having a baseline um, cluster stood up, put all those into a single Go binary, and 30 seconds later, you have Kubernetes running that you can use locally to test against. So that's where K3S was born. And this was all before I came to Rancher, by the way. So, um, But we saw it, like when I was at Red Hat, and I was, you know, looking to do my startup. I mean, we were evaluating uh, lightweight Kubernetes options and K3S was, it looked positionally correct. Okay, if I can say that. But back to the origin, Rancher then just released it upstream as a project and it was immediately adopted by hobbyists. Um, and I, I kind of fell into that category myself with uh, some software that I was writing 
for the startup as a proof of concept. And K3S, uh, very much like Darren, solved the complexity of standing Kubernetes up very fast and quickly and cleanly. Um, one word I like to use, and I'm, I'm borrowing this from a uh, talk that Darren did. He said that K3S removes the cognitive overload of standing up Kubernetes. And I, I love that phrase because it's succinct and right to the point of what K3S does from a value perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody should go through, you know, that Kubernetes the hard way from Kelsey. Yes. It is great. You understand it all. But like, I shouldn't have to go through it all the time. Like, and so the, the value of that absolutely makes sense. <laughs> Complexity is a problem and it introduces all kinds of risks more than just like the time constraints on it. But like, you know, the complexity introduces opportunity for security vulnerabilities. It introduces all of this like challenges that throwing it all in a go binary sounds like a lot of that's removed. No, you're spot on. And going back to my cloud scaling days and, you know, being in the school of Randy Bias, Cloud scaling would always say that, you know, uh, complexity is the enemy of scale. I mean, we've got it on the back of the T-shirt, right? So if you can remove complexity, you can gain scale. And, and K3S is a brilliant um, rendition of that phrase. That's great. Um, so given that, like, do you think that K3S is like, like the default, everybody should choose that as their Kubernetes distribution? But there's a lot of other ones. There's KubeADM, there's, you know, upstream Kubernetes. You you can do it the hard way. When does it make sense, like if I'm thinking about, I need to create a Kubernetes cluster, when does it make sense for me to choose K3S versus other distros? There are several use cases. Uh, what we're seeing on the business side is that companies that don't want to waste a lot of time, I mean, we're, we're kind of speaking about this complexity issue, right? If they just want to get something up and running quickly and test against, that's great. But the other benefit of K3S is that it's production grade, right? So just to give you some statistics, K3S is downloaded over 20,000 times per week. So if you do the math, that's like a million downloads a year. So the traction on that is pretty phenomenal. And what happens to us on the business side is that there will be POCs internally behind you know, organizational firewalls. Once those get to a certain level of maturity, they'll call us for support. So that's pretty much our business model, right? But anybody who wants to quickly test Kubernetes and spend more time higher up into the Kubernetes stack, K3S is a great fit. Um, it's multi-architecture, meaning it runs on uh, you know ARM processors as well as Intel-based machines. So uh, you can run it on a Raspberry Pi locally to create a home lab. In fact, that's part of the initial traction is that the hobbyists, the, the home lab scenarios, you know, Intel developer uh, system on chip boards. I mean, those use cases are very prevalent. And on the commercial side, actually US public sector side, we've got use cases where they're running K3S on satellites on Raspberry Pis, for example. So let me just say this. The rancher philosophy when we look at Kubernetes is the following. We expect Kubernetes to be everywhere, okay? We don't see ourselves as adding a tremendous amount of value to Kubernetes itself. And you, you hear this from other folks in, in the ecosystem where Kubernetes is pretty much done as a thing, right? And so we are trying to, and this is the point of uh, K3S as well, we want adoption everywhere. We want it to be a standard everywhere. And I think that's the mission, right, uh, for us. And so we, as a company, build value on top of the expectation that Kubernetes will be everywhere. And just K3S is just one form factor of making that a reality. Sorry, I, I got to back up a second here. Did you say it's on a satellite? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Or is that a little bit uh, not appropriate to get into too much? Um, we can talk about it. Um, there are some use cases and data sheets that we've built around that particular use case. It's uh, in conjunction with a company called Hypergiant. 
the use case there is there's a cluster of four Raspberry Pis uh, running K3S. They have their own switching and all the fabric there. And they have a Baby Yoda doll, okay? And what they're doing is they're doing image uh, recognition against that Baby Yoda against kind of a space backdrop, I guess. Um, there's more detail about this online that we can reference, but I think that's a preliminary test of something else. Is I'll leave it at that for the use case. I would say that's a very good usage of uh, the word edge. That's as edge as I've heard yes. for, for Kubernetes. So that, that's pretty exciting. We'll make sure to get that link and keep it in the show notes here too, because that sounds phenomenal. It's interesting, um, Basil, you mentioned, you know, Rancher, you know, your Kubernetes philosophy, we don't add value to Kubernetes. That's what you just described. But you actually, by simplifying Kubernetes and then adding support on paid, commercial support, sure, but like that's that's a massive amount of value. Like Kubernetes is still early and people are struggling with it. And so like I imagine you're unique in the ecosystem with the like setting up that support org and being able to support a Kubernetes distribution out there. Yeah, and let me, of course, correct that statement because there's a nuance there. Uh, when I say we don't add value to Kubernetes, I'm talking about like, we do. Okay, so let's clear that up for, for a moment. Okay, we <laughs> absolutely <laughs> add a ton of value to Kubernetes. The point I was trying to make there in, in clarity is that we don't spend our time pushing a lot of feature um, evolution in Kubernetes, right? So our mission is to make Kubernetes as it is today from an upstream perspective widely available in all of these use cases as we go forward to this new world in, in terms of fully cloud-native infrastructure everywhere, right? So that's that's probably a better way to say what we do. And to your point, K3S is a huge amount of value because we've, again, reduced the cognitive overload needed to uh, stand up Kubernetes. Uh, it's repeatable. You can scale it, uh, everything that comes with that. So that's real strong value. Yeah, I mean, we at Replicated every engineer gets their own K3S cluster. That's their dev environment. They run their whole stack on. We've standardized on that. And honestly, like before, we were using different, uh, smaller Kubernetes distributions. Um, we've experimented with different ones, and K3S has been the one that actually was just like, it just kind of works. It got out of the way, and it allows us to be able to yes. like, build code. So yes. that's great. So let's move on and like talk about some of the challenges that it took to build K3S. You know, you took a really complex problem of Kubernetes the hard way and made it into a single go binary. That complexity didn't just go away, right? Like you took it out of everybody out there who's trying to spin up a cluster and number of people and made it so that the rancher team is responsible for making that process simple. What were the challenges there? Yeah, there's really two. One is deciding um, how do you reduce the footprint of the Kubernetes core services, right, into a single process. That's a challenge that's going to be always from my perspective in the hands of the engineers to, to figure that out, but they've done it, right? Um, so that's kind of theme number one. Theme number two was fairly innovative. Um, etcd is fairly heavy. And if anybody's used it in a, kind of a low-resourced machine, you'll quickly understand that it, it could be problematic from a, a resource utilization perspective. And so one of the cool things uh, that was net new that we introduced with K3S was uh, KINE, K-I-N-E. It's a recursive acronym for KINE is not etcd. And so essentially what that is, uh, again, going back to the brilliance of Darren Shepard, is a shim layer so that you can um, back the etcd store from an API perspective to something else such as MySQL or Postgres or SQLite. And so K3S, uh, as a default, ships with SQLite. It's much more friendly to 
like Raspberry Pis, low-resourced hardware, et cetera, as a default. But we also now support etcd as a first-class citizen as well if you want to revert back to classic etcd so the kind shim layer was really cool and i would like to also call out that kind is not specific to k3s you can actually use this in other kubernetes clusters to scale out the back end uh, and there's several reasons that you may want to do that but it's a really cool innovation so if I want to spin up a k3s cluster that's a single node like on a raspberry pi or something that sqlite layer is great but would the idea be if I want to have a multi-node K3S cluster, that's where I would swap SQLite out with potentially something like a managed Postgres offering or something like that? Yes, correct. Um, these edge use cases are really driving a lot of this. Um, so just real quick, some edge use cases, you would have a Kubernetes control plane uh, somewhere, not the edge, right? So somewhere in some, either hosted in the cloud or, or in a data center on your own hardware, whatever it is, right? In those scenarios, you would have a, kind of a beefy backend, right? So etcd or uh, using kind to talk to Postgres or MySQL. But the downstream clusters that would be under management would be some, running something like SQLite because of just the footprint of the hardware is very different. And to your point also, if there are multi, it's a multi-node cluster, you could run etcd and a, let's say a three-node cluster at the edge given the uh, requirements for Quorum with the leader election protocol. Sorry, I just want to dive in a little bit more. Um, obviously, this kind stuff is pretty spectacular. What other kind of innovations do you have in the architecture that you can kind of make it stand out a bit? Um, and what other reasons do I have as a developer? Like, why else would I want to use this? Um, I obviously, you've listed a million great reasons, but what else is there? So a few things. One is that we are listening to the users intently about what we need to add going forward in the roadmap. And so one of the things that helps with the scalability and massive uh, deployment of downstream clusters is having a config file-driven startup process or for that cluster, right? And so now you can just sling out config files. You can run uh, K3S with that config file, and boom, you've got a cluster up and running. So that's cool. Um, the K3S as a single binary, number one, has no host dependencies on the Linux OS. So it's, as long as your Linux is fairly modern, then K3S will just run, which is cool. It's a small thing, but it's very important. Outside of K3S itself, in terms of moving up the stack, we're about to release a project called Rancher Desktop. So, Mark, you mentioned that your developers have their own K3S clusters. Well, we're trying to make that even better where you have a desktop tool. It's kind of like Docker Desktop, but with K3S underneath. You can select the Kubernetes version that you want to have running, and then you can test your Helm charts or whatever you have against that local cluster um, and just swap it on demand real time. So. That's a, a new innovation that's coming out for us based on K3S, but not with K3S directly. That's cool. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about K3S. I want to shift for just a second. There's an ecosystem of other Rancher projects around this. There's K3D, K3OS. Um, there's another distro, RKE2. How are these all related back to K3S? Do they share the same code or, or what? It's interesting. Because of the popularity of K3S, what's happened is that it's almost like the tail wagging the tigers. So just to give some context, Rancher provides its own Kubernetes distribution. There's actually two, like three. So let's talk about that historically. Historically, there was RKE, Rancher Kubernetes Engine. It was a container-driven Kubernetes distro. Okay. The next version of that is RKE2. And what we've done there positionally is that uh, because of my public sector experience and understanding of that space, what we've decided to do strategically was go 120% into that space, capture the security requirements for both regular use cases 
from a security enhanced perspective, as well as disconnected Kubernetes environment use cases, which are very different. Okay. There's some edge corner cases there that we have to take care of, and we're doing a very good job of that. So RKE2 is all about winning in that space. And uh, the upstream project is called RKE2, the whole, the Git repo. What we've done is we've decided that that's the tip of the spear. So all of the security enhancements, um, the container D, SE Linux upgrades, and things like that, um, the FIPS uh, crypto modules, we put all of that into RKE2 to meet our government security requirements. And then we package that up and brand it RKE government because it doesn't have feature parity completely today with RKE1 from a rancher management perspective. Okay, it is proper Kubernetes, but rancher's ability to deploy and manage that is just a little bit behind, but we're closing that gap very quickly. And once that's done, we're gonna say, okay, here's the new version of RKE, which is RKE2. Hopefully that made sense, <laughs> okay? So back to the original question, um, K3S, because of the simplicity model in the single binary and the user experience from a developer or deployment perspective has been so popular that that model is bleeding over into RKE2's development. And so they both share kind of a launch mechanism. I think it's called the supervisor where you run a single binary and then RKE2 is container driven. So it will pull down all the containerized microservices and sling out your cluster as per your specification. So think of it as a data center grade version of K3S where you can have finer control over the number of etcd servers, API servers, et cetera. Um, so it gives you the ability to tune the cluster for high performance environments and large clusters. So that's kind of the mission there. K3S still has that supervisor model. You launch it as a single binary, but all the services are within that binary. So it's bringing everything to the table. There's no external dependencies to have Kubernetes running in that case. So we see that being adopted for, in your case, like developer uh, use cases or for these edge use cases where it's absolutely taking off there. But they do share a similar code base there. Got it. So like limited limited bandwidth and stuff like this, or like completely even just offline disconnected environments, K3S is great because like everything's self-contained right there. Yep. And the question about the projects, we've got a few. Um, I'm going to speak on one in the U.S. public sector that's like getting a lot of traction as well. And this is not going to really matter to most folks on the podcast, but we have a project called Hauler, H-A-U-L-E-R. And it's a kind of a build system where it will package up Kubernetes into a single like tar file. And you get on the other side or what we call the high side or a disconnected environment and you run Hauler and it unpacks everything, stands up the cluster. If you've installed Helm charts, it does all of that, pulls down the containers, and you have a fully disconnected running stack from the bottom to the containerized applications running on top of that cluster within a fully disconnected environment. I mean, it is phenomenal. Um, so we're going to be releasing that officially uh, probably in the next within the next month. But that's a really exciting project because, again, using the DoD and the intelligence community and U.S. government as our kind of leading um, requirements indicator, if you will. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're building tools like that to solve for disconnected environments. And those solutions have direct applicability in other industries like financial services, banking, et cetera, um, healthcare, where you see um, very similar disconnected environments. For example, um, we're talking to some folks to do K3S enabled um, x-ray machines. And they're going to run their containerized apps and all the x-ray data is going to come to the local cluster right there in the room with the machine. And then they process it and move it on and things like that. But that whole environment is 
the same type of disconnected network that you'd find in some of the military use cases. So it's a very, like I said earlier, it's a very exciting space and it's, I'm very privileged to be where I am to see these opportunities and to help shape some of these opportunities. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about these government environments that you need to deploy to, but like, if you solve that, you generally are solving the same, like, you know, highly regulated compliant environments by financial services, healthcare, there's like lots of commercial adoption that you unlock by solving those hard to get to environments. Indeed, indeed. And so that's really kind of the the overall strategy is to create a generic edge solution based on K3S and Rancher and, and the SUSE Sleep Micro OS, right? Again, those three pillars that are, in my opinion, an MVP for any edge solution, whether it's from us or somebody else. Um, so we have this kind of generic baseline solution that we can apply to different industries. In addition to that, though, some industries are even further regulated, particularly like the auto industry, because there's safety Linux. Mm-hmm. I don't think cloud native apps will be in that space for some while because it's just there's too much to review. There's too much um, regulation to go through. So those re- would require a specialized solution. So it's not going to apply to every industry, but for the most part, we can solve, I would say, 80% of the far edge use cases with a solution like that based on K3S. Great. You guys shipped K3S, lots of traction, lots of downloads, um, every, like lots of use. But recently, SUSE donated the project to the CNCF. Can you talk a little bit about that decision to make it a CNCF project and not a rancher project anymore? Yeah, I mean, that really speaks to the thing I said earlier about we see Kubernetes everywhere. And that move for us was to further that philosophy where um, we want to give it to the world and to accelerate the commoditization of Kubernetes everywhere almost like electricity or like a utility. And so it's almost like the Elon Musk Tesla strategy, right? Where the faster they can build those charging stations, the better the network overall is going to be in terms of adding value on top of that with better cars, right? So not that we're nowhere near Elon Musk in terms of stature, but um, the idea is to accelerate Kubernetes being everywhere at the edge in space, as we mentioned earlier, in these disconnected environments in your house, and then build real value on top of that standardized API, uh, the CNCF you know, certification, which is great. So that's the mission. Um, that was our main push to doing that. And the second is that by doing that, we would like to see you know, multiple organizations participating in the promotion, the evolution of K3S as that standard, uh, and to make sure that we're in lockstep with the overall Kubernetes ecosystem going forward. So going forward, um, what's next on the roadmap? It's about security. So we were uh, part of uh, several companies who helped the United States Air Force with their Platform One project and also submitted some documentation to DISA. And what's created there was the first ever DISA uh, security technical implementation guide, the STIG. I'm, I'm trying to avoid being too technical in the U.S. public sector space with acronyms. But there is an official uh, DISA STIG for Kubernetes. Now, the problem we have with K3S is that it's not individual services that have configuration files, right? It's a single binary. And so we need to make sure uh, from a security perspective, because this is being adopted heavily in the DoD space, we need to make sure that K3S meets those STIG recommendations. And so that's the next thing for us. Um, Second to that, we need to make sure that our internal uh, crypto libraries are using misvalidated modules. So that's big too. And then, you know, we get things like SE Linux from the host operating system. So we need to play nice with that. But security, security, security is our next broad theme 
to get K3S uh, better adopted by public sector first, other industries second. And it's like we want to mirror the RKE2 model uh, specifically with K3S. Um, so that's next for us in terms of roadmap. That's great. Uh, on that, the security side, you mentioned a lot of stuff around the runtime security, you know, encryption, algorithms, and things like this. Are you also looking at things around the supply chain and software bill of materials? Um, it seems to be everybody's talking about it since the SolarWinds hack, which is great, but it's also a hard problem to solve. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. So this is actually one of the huge benefits that we get from the SUSE acquisition. And so if you look at the legacy and the artifacts that we have from decades of operating system builds from the Slee family, we are actively looking to better our rancher process based on what the SUSE folks and their expertise uh, bring to the table. So you're going to see some changes around that. In fact, the SLEE micro operating system takes advantage of the SLEE artifacts, as I said. So, you know, common criteria certification, the NIST validated models, we, it's basically like we have a candy store of things to help with uh, our security positioning. And we're very excited to put things together in the right order to meet our security requirements. But yeah, the supply chain piece is largely resolved by the value that SUSE brings to the table uh, from the Linux side. We will and are adopting a lot of that and embracing that and sending that value downstream to our our customers. It's awesome when there's such a perfect marriage there of like you have this open source modern application K3S to bring it easier, but you know SUSE has the framework and the infrastructure to think about that, and you can just join the two and actually have a better product. Yes, exactly that. I want to shift for one more second. There's another project from Rancher that's in the CNCF sandbox, um, not a Kubernetes distribution, Longhorn, which is a storage backend. Are you working with the Longhorn project also? I am indirectly. Uh, there's a guy on my team. His name is William Jimenez. Uh, he is the product manager for Longhorn. Cool. And then the question is just really at a high level is, the, the need for Longhorn, was that discovered by the distributions of K3S out there and, and realizing, hey, storage is really hard and everybody's storage is too complicated. We need to do the same thing for storage that we did for Kubernetes? Yeah, that's the, the similar philosophy. Uh, we wanted to make storage easy in the context of Kubernetes. So Longhorn you know, gives you a great uh, way to deploy it via Helm chart, and it's got a great user interface to quickly give you persistent volumes uh, for your containers with Kubernetes. It takes that simplicity model into effect and it carries it throughout the whole life cycle of the product. And so that's what's really driving Longhorn. Cool. So that's storage, Kubernetes. Are you doing anything with networking, another hard problem that everybody has in Kubernetes? Uh, no, we're not touching networking, um, but we are looking to go after the hyper-converged uh, infrastructure space with a complete stack that's 100% open source. That project name is called Harvester, where to your point about Longhorn, it includes Longhorn in there for storage. There's Kubevert. All of this is built on Kubernetes. And again, just to, just to recap, you have to understand our philosophy, right? So we expect the Kubernetes API to be everywhere. And so at the bottom of Harvester is K3S, again, which gives us that standard uh, CNCF um, API that we can target for infrastructure management. And so Harvester is designed to solve three areas. Well, there's virtual machines um, that we may need to uh, spin up, but we can manage that uh, virtual machine lifecycle management from the Kubernetes interface, which is great. And then if you want to run Kubernetes clusters on top of that, you can do that as well. 
if you want to do both, Rancher can manage all three of those scenarios. So think of um, a future version of Rancher or future capability within Rancher. It would manage a cluster of harvester nodes and give you a vSphere-like capability against like a you know hyperconverged infrastructure. So it's think of Harvester as an appliance that gives you all three of those things out of the box, where you can get, you get VMs, you get Kubernetes, and you get the storage, of course, to support the VMs. But Rancher can see that cluster and manage that cluster at scale. That's actually really useful when you think about like large organizations trying to figure out how to adopt Kubernetes and how they can take some of the the operational practices that they have and apply them into a Kubernetes world without having to throw it all away. That you know what they've done for years. So that's cool. exactly, and we're seeing a lot of that because you know people are running things like OpenStack or they're running VMware and they want to go cloud native, but they can't drag the applications over fast enough, right? Mm-hmm. So. Some of the greenfield apps, they're obviously going to be cloud native from the beginning. But if we could stand up, you know, a few racks of gear, we can now have a place to bring over the VMs and have the entire thing be cloud native at the core, which is what that's really what the target is. So if I'm thinking about, you know, hey, I, I, I want to try K3S, um, do you have any recommendations on where I should start? Should I like think about it as a local Kubernetes cluster or should I start thinking about it for like a single app running in production? What do you see success? Yes. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the thing is, um, I mean, the, the quickest way to get started, again, this is coming from our product manager, so I'm, I'm not the most technical, but go to k3s.io. There should be a curl command there. Get to your local VM or Linux box locally, run that curl command, and 45 seconds later, you'll have a CNCF certified Kubernetes distro at your beck and call. That's the quickest way to get started. Um, I have a small three-node um, Intel boxes running it right now. I've got Rancher running on top of that um, just to you know test things out and, and stay fresh and manage some things downstream. So that's the quickest way to do it. K3S.io is your answer. Just like curl pipe bash and then Kubernetes. Boom, you're done. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you a different quick question here. Is there any reason not to use K3S and rather just go straight K8s? Is there, is there any reason why you can see that? Because I'm pretty convinced that I should never touch raw K8s again after talking with you for this last bit of time here. So tell me why, when I should use K8. It's a great question, and that will illuminate uh, K3S's power. So let's talk about that. So there may be some use cases where your cluster is sufficiently large enough that you need to have better precision over the the landscape of your services within the cluster. We talked about this a little bit earlier, I believe, where you may have a certain number of etcd nodes versus the API server count versus the other services, right? So with K3S, you're limited to either a control plane node or a worker node. And so you're, it's kind of blocky in that sense where you don't have the same level of granularity over the split between the services. It's kind of all or nothing for K3S. So that's going to limit you for extremely large clusters because um, it just will. Um, so there is a probably some cluster size limit where K3S is probably not the best answer but that's still a lot of nodes. <laughs> okay, don't get me wrong. It's still a lot of nodes. Like again, for very large clusters, K3S is probably not your best solution. Okay, that's fair. But on that, like you know, you don't have to obviously name any customer names or anything like this, but just to get an idea of that order of magnitude, what are some of the largest size production clusters or just large scale K3S installations that you've come across? I don't have the answer to K3S numbers, but for RKE, the original RKE and RKE2, it's thousands of nodes. Yeah, we're still talking a, a pretty large cluster. Correct. 
So that brings up a, another thing. Just how do you look at mesh, like meshes and that type of uh, inter-cluster communication possibly, or external cluster communication? Do you guys have a, is there a project that's coming up, anything like that? We don't have a rancher, you know, originated mesh project, but we are participating in the Submariner project. Um, I think was started by some folks over at Red Hat. That looks very interesting from a cluster to cluster perspective. Um, and there's some interesting use cases for decentralization around that as well. As far as like service meshes intra cluster, we're open. It's just standard Kubernetes and you can load whatever you want to put there uh, based on your use cases. So we're agnostic in that front. That's why Kubernetes is good, right? You you build a conformant cluster and you can bring in whatever you want to. Exactly that. Yes. Agreed. So if I'm a developer um, and I want to get started contributing, maybe I want to like, I think, oh, here's something that I want to add into K3S. Can you talk a little bit about like the community meetings and how you're engaging the developers out there? Yeah, it's just standard upstream. Um, at my level, I am not on a day-to-day basis directly involved in the community engagement. So Probably some other folks would be uh, better suited to answer that question from an engineering perspective. But we listen to the community uh, intently, um, as I said earlier. And if you can go to uh, the rancher slash K3S Git repo and start there, that's probably the best place to go. Cool. And is there a a particular type of feedback that you're looking for as you're shaping the next couple of versions or the roadmap right now? You know, you talked a lot about the security um, aspects that you're focusing on and a lot of team, the team is putting into that particular use cases or feedback that help you right now? Yes. I'm going to give you an answer with K3S and then we'll talk about something else uh, after that. Uh, So the use cases that we're seeing are largely these edge use cases. And so any requirements around, let's say, ARM architecture would be really interesting to get feedback on. Any interesting use cases around ARM plus GPUs, ARM plus FPGA boards would be of interest to us because we want to make sure that we can say yes to all of that, right, from a uh, kind of supportability matrix perspective. And the other thing that we're interested in is requirements, not necessarily related to K3S, because we see K3S and K3S clusters as downstream clusters that should be managed by something like Rancher, right? So we have this capability called continuous delivery. I mentioned it earlier, where it's based on a project upstream called Fleet, and it's our GitOps model to manage downstream clusters. And if there are use cases around the edge scenarios with K3S and Fleet, we would love to hear those. Um, so any kind of crazy configuration. I mean, we we talked about Hypergiant with satellites and everything that comes with that from a disconnected and latency um, uh, perspective, we, we're very aware of. But anything that's kind of out of the ordinary, the more out of the ordinary <laughs> or diverse the use cases, the, the more we want to hear about it. Because we want to make sure that, again, going back to Kubernetes everywhere, that we can actually support those crazy use cases and there are quite a few of them out there but yeah that's the kind of feedback we'd love to have got it let's talk about fleet for just a minute um like we're big fans of GitOps in general is fleet really targeted around just the kubernetes cluster in in managing those or applications what does fleet do yeah so fleet is rancher's philosophy for GitOps, right we see it as the core technology to give us the management at scale capability there's a really cool um, blog article that Darren Shepard wrote where we took Rancher, we scaled it up to manage a million downstream clusters. And he talks about all the roadblocks that we ran into with Kubernetes. For example, I didn't know this uh, at the time, but etcd apparently has an eight gig key value uh, store limit and the default is set to two gigs. So 
you can do the math on the number of objects right stored, and you <laughs> you basically tap out at like a hundred thousand downstream clusters, right? So um, this is why Kine, uh, the thing we talked about earlier, the shim layer to swap out the backend database was needed for this scale initiative, right? So in the blog, he talks about how using Kine, we pointed to um, uh, it was either the Postgres or MySQL, uh, more specifically RDS, and one of the two API. Uh, protocols for the database. And that gave us the ability to go beyond that eight gig um, database limit and crank up the scale pretty awesomely uh, up to a million clusters under management. So Fleet was the technology in that use case. So we're very, very comfortable with its ability to scale. I mean, we've not run into a customer that has a million um, downstream you know, clusters today. We see multiple tens of thousands though. So just to give you some perspective in the of real world use cases. And so what Fleet does is it's GitOps-driven, uh, meaning that you can manage all of your source of truth in a Git repo. It's a two-stage pool model where it uh, clones the Git repo, contrasts that repo against the RBAC that you assign to the downstream clusters, right? And then it prepares what's called bundles. And so when the downstream clusters phone in to say, hey, do you have something for me to do? Fleet operates has has operator on the rancher side and has operators uh, on the downstream cluster side, and the fleet operators talk and say, "Hey, look, there's something for you here. Download the bundle and then reconcile that against the local cluster, and we're good to go at that point." Um, the pull model is the only one that really scales. If you do a push model, what happens is that you pretty much just wind up testing the network connectivity to the downstream clusters. <laughs> so um, that's Fleet in a nutshell, and it's very powerful. It's very successful. It's elegant. It's the right thing to do. It gives us that scale, that management. It's the third pillar of our solution, by the way. And we are slowly moving Rancher to use Fleet, the Fleet model, for 100% management of downstream clusters going forward. And, and it's open source? Everything we do is open source. In fact, one thing that kind of surprised me when I joined Rancher coming from Red Hat was that the Rancher code upstream is identical to the Rancher code downstream. Uh, in the past, we're, we're changing that a bit to be more corporate friendly, but we didn't have a notion of like subscription keys or anything. Uh, and it really kind of shocked me. It was almost like the purest implementation of open source that you could find in a, in a commercial business. And, uh, you know, customers would pay us for support and we would just verify that they had support and then we would support them. But the code, the bits were exactly the same. And we're still doing that. And, but the thing that we're changing going forward is that we want you to register in the support system on the SUSE side, and we're going to change the color so you can easily see visually that you have a supported install, but the bits are exactly the same. So we're not going too drastically into the uh, traditional model of subscriptions, but we, we do have a little bit of a light layer on top of that, but the bits are identical. There's no real notion of upstream and downstream on the rancher side of the house. So all this stuff is pretty interesting. Is there a world where the big clouds are just using K3S as, as my uh, managed Kubernetes service? Is that coming or is that the dream? Is that the goal? Or? It's coming. It's interesting because, you know, if you look at the big three, you've got Amazon, Google, and Azure. They all have slightly different approaches to what we call the far edge. Some look at K3S and want to partner with us. And so we're, you know, having early discussions around that. I can't go into details because SUSE is a public company at this point. So there's very little I can say about that. But there are interesting edge use cases where, let me give you an example of one generically, okay? In what we call the near edge, the near edge is kind of nearer to the core services. It's really the realm of the telecommunications companies, okay? 
the big communications providers, 5G networks, the whole thing, right? Cable companies, multi-service operators, et cetera. They are servicing use cases called multi-access edge computing or MEC, M-E-C for short. And we're seeing opportunities where the MEC side of the house is put into Amazon or Azure or GKE. And then the downstream clusters are K3S running, right? So there could be, you know, Azure with, you know, control plane services and supporting services, but K3S at the edge, it could be the same thing with um, EKS from Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So those are really interesting use cases in conjunction with, so it's really kind of a partnership with the big providers to provide like best of breed solution. And it really brings home that the, the constant thing that I've been saying on this call is that we expect Kubernetes to be everywhere. And we, by having the best of breed, you know, a CNCF certified um, API and distributions of Kubernetes, we get a tremendous amount of value and choice for the customer implementation. So um, we love the providers. We love the hyperscalers um, because, you know, we don't have that infrastructure, but we do have solutions that run very well at the edge. And we do have Rancher as a form of a control plane that is absolutely agnostic to, you know, Google, Azure, or Amazon. We can see all three of those. We can provision to all three of those. We can pretty much do with the 2.6 release, anything that you can do from each one of those consoles, respectively, you can do from the Rancher console, um, which is a very powerful statement when it comes to multi-cluster management with Kubernetes. And so that gives us the control plane side of the house and going back to the MEC uh, use case, running on top of that provider's infrastructure. And then K3S is the downstream piece for those joint solutions. So it's a powerful combination and something that we look forward to extending in the future. Okay, so this stuff is this is a little mind melding for me, but so okay, I'm running my my new MacBook, and I, I mean, I've got my ARM chip. K3s is perfect. I don't do this, but if I were to run a Windows machine, does K3s fit into that ecosystem whatsoever? And how does that look? Yes. <laughs> so there's a few things. Um, Rancher has support for Windows. Number one, so you can run worker nodes on Windows, and you can run Windows containers on those worker nodes, but the control plane would be a Linux-based control plane. So that's a Kubernetes story. Uh, so that's one story. The second story is that Rancher Desktop with K3S will run on Windows day one. So we're targeting Mac OS and Windows for the first set of releases for uh, Rancher Desktop. Is that like using WSL to solve the control plane problem, or how are you getting around that? It is. It is using the, uh, the subsystem to do that, yes. So kind of the last question that I had was, K3S right now is a sandbox project. Lots of adoption, lots of traction, lots of use cases out there. What goals are you using to measure what it's going to take for you to apply for incubation and get out of the sandbox? Well, I think the main one is having other organizations join us, other individuals push it. Um, it you know, it's already very popular, but we don't want to be perceived as a single company open source project, right? Because those those tend to die over time, right? So we want to make sure that we have good cross-pollinization between companies to participate in the furtherance of K3S. So that's kind of an internal goal for us. And again, it backs up the philosophy that we want to see Kubernetes everywhere. Awesome. So I think that now that it's in the sandbox and you have community engagement and there's like more of an open governance model, that's probably not going to be very hard to see um, what, now that everybody can do it and they know it's not a rancher project specifically. I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else that you know, you'd know you like to chat about, about K3S or any of the Rancher projects? No, I think we've covered quite a bit of it today, um, and I very much appreciate uh, the time to have this discussion. 
That's all we have time for today. If you're the maintainer of a CNCF project and would like to be a guest on this show, head over to kubelist.com. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com to check out the library. It's packed with amazing talks and content on sales, marketing, product, and more for founders of developer tools companies. And this podcast is brought to you by my company, Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software to their largest enterprise customers. Check us out at replicated.com.